And now, The Low Post. Welcome to a very special edition of The Low Post Podcast, where I am joined by, on the eve of a very special night, somewhat in his honor, one of the defining NBA players of the last 15 years, an all-star, an all-NBA player, finished fourth in MVP voting one year, an all-time NBA character beloved by fans in Chicago and everywhere, except if your team was playing his team, which is the biggest compliment you can give a player. The one and only Joakim Noah. How are you? Jeez, that was a hell of an introduction. I like to butter people up at the top. That was crazy. So we're recording this in advance of October 28th, Bulls-Knicks, Joakim Noah night in Chicago. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, except I think you're going to you're going to be on a one day contract. You're going to officially retire a bull. You know, your career took a lot of twists and turns once you left Chicago for New York. Injuries, drug suspension, Memphis, Clippers, Achilles tear. You know, it's probably not the last five years that you envisioned in your prime. But are, are you at peace with everything? Are you at peace with this night in Chicago and with with how it's ended? You know, those last five years was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I think it, it, it helps me appreciate um, and it helps me in, in navigate uh, life a lot better. You know, life is about, you know, highs and lows. So it makes me appreciate the good times that I had. And I, I really had a, a lot uh, of, of great times and this game's given me so much. So just count your blessings and when it's tough just know that you can come out of it and uh, you know i'm i'm the happiest i've ever been it's not a coincidence this is a knicks bulls game the knicks bring in tom thibodeau Derek rose todd gibson all yeah. these characters from your bulls heyday who are you most excited like who haven't you seen in a long time and you're like man i can't wait tonight to talk to this guy or i'm gonna give this guy a big hug or i just like i'm gonna give this guy some because I haven't seen him in forever. Who are you really looking forward to seeing? Honestly, I just, I tried to like stay away from, from the logistics. I, I, I don't know who's, who's going to be there, who's going to show up, but uh, I, I'm excited. I know it's going to be a lot of characters. And you know, I think that's what it's all about. When you realize when it's over, you know, all you have is, is your memories and your relationships, your friends, you know, and you know, I, I share a lot of stories with a lot of guys. You know, we had a lot. Of, it, was, it was fun, man. It was, you know, you're on the road, you're traveling, um, the grind. You miss that. That's what you miss the most is the locker room, you know, the bus, drinking brewskis on the bus, all those things. So that's what it's all about, man. So I'm looking forward to just like meeting with the guys and just drinking some drinks and just talking What's the beer of choice on the Chicago Bulls bus in like 2011, 2012 when it's just all rolling? Is it just whatever's there, whatever the team provides? Or just, is it somebody's job to bring the beer? And what, what's the beer? It's definitely the rookie's job. That's for sure. And um, I, honestly, at that, at that point, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> you're not drinking. It's not for you're not drinking beers for the for the taste buds. You know what I mean? I got you. Let's go through your whole career and let's do it somewhat chronologically that we'll bounce around. You jump into the public consciousness at Florida where you win two straight national titles. And I was talking to a couple people who know you and it's those Florida teams, it seems like a long time ago, but a couple people told me this, like Billy Donovan empowered you to play your way, to bring the ball up, to facilitate. Like he had a more modern vision for big men what was modern then in 2006, 2007 is, is sort of commonplace. Now, how important was that for you to land in a place where you could, you could play that way? Well, you know, everything happened really fast. Um, you know, during my you know, the times of getting recruited, I was kind of getting recruited by nobody. And then and after that, that time at ABCD, you know, I, was, I got a lot of offers. And Coach Donovan really made all the difference with one phone call. Uh, and I don't really remember what he said, but I just remember him just, you know, really making an impression on me. So I really wanted to play for him. And, you know, he was just what I liked about him is he was he was crazy enough where I knew it would be like I would fit. <laughs> and but also had a real balance, like a real balance to him, you know, family man. You know, it was just a lot of faith. 
Um, and just very, very, very loyal to his guys. You know, still to this day, it's like if something happens to one of us, one of his old players, you know, I know Coach Donovan's going to be the first one to call. He'll be he'll be there. And you know what? That's that goes a long way to me. It didn't start off that smoothly there, right? There were a lot of big men jostling for minutes. You come in, Al Horford's there, David Lee's there, Chris Richards yeah. there. I think someone told me you almost thought of maybe you, you at least in your brain, the idea of maybe transferring entered at some point. Like it didn't get off to the smoothest start before you guys break out. You become a starter, two-time national titles. It's, it wasn't always smooth, right? No, it wasn't. It, it never is. You know, even, even the good years, it, it, it never is. So I didn't play a lot my freshman year. But I worked my ass off. I ended up coming back to New York that summer and um, playing in a lot of streetball tournaments in Rucker, Dykeman, Kingdom. And those tournaments, I had a hell of a summer just, you know, playing in those environments and playing in the hood. There's something about it that, you know, it really, you know, it just like it, it really brought something out of me. So when I came in the next year, I just, I was that much more confident. You know, I really felt like, another animal, another type of animal. And uh, I came in and, you know, we won the championship and I had a hell of a run and I helped, I helped lead that thing. So, like I said, you know, you go through tough times and it makes, you know, it makes winning and it makes the special, special times that much sweeter. Did you think about transferring at any point? Is that real? I didn't, but it was more, you know, it's, it's the noise. You know, it was, it's more like the people around, Maybe it's a good, you need to get out of there. It's a good idea. But to me, I, I was I, I was having a great time. You know, I love it. It was tough not playing, but at the same time, come on, I was at University of Florida. It, was, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, it seems like you had a good time in college. My, my, my memories of Joakim Noah in college look like you were having a fun time. Um, you get drafted by the Bulls number nine. Okay. Yeah. Take me back to draft night because you got Bulls. I remember the Bucks at seven who end up drafting Yee. They were rumored to be connected with you. I'm not sure you were psyched about the idea of going to Milwaukee. We can talk about that. Kings at 10, right behind, I think were definitely super interested in you. From what I remember, you did not work out for them. Did you want Chicago? When did you know it was going to be Chicago? And what do you remember about the Milwaukee-Sacramento options kind of around that pick? Well, I, I didn't. the teams that I didn't want to go to, I didn't work out for. I just remember... Um, I really wanted to go to Chicago. That was the one I wanted. I wanted to be a part of. And it was a, you know, a really special, special night. You know, just, just the fact that I could just, I'm from New York City. I'm, you know, I have my whole family in Madison Square Garden. My grandfather came from Africa, which was always special. And, you know, you get called up as a lottery pick and you get to celebrate that with all your close ones. You know, that's that's what it's all about. You know, just I, I think that all my happiest moments in this thing was it was never about the actual games or the moments. It was it's more about like seeing the excitement and the happiness in your family's face, you know, and, and that that moment, you know, that being able to like walk out of Madison Square Garden and walk into Jezebel, um, you know, my godmother's restaurant at the time, rest in peace. Alberta Wright, and then just going out with all the like all the lottery picks. We were all in the club together. Everybody's family, everybody's like I'll never forget that. Just everybody crying, you know, and just it, tears of joy. A lot of mothers crying. It was just cool, good moment. How do you decide at age nineteen or twenty that you don't want to play for Team X or Team Y? What's that like? What's that conversation like? I don't want to play. I mean, Sacramento. Look, a lot of people have decided they don't want to play for Sacramento. But how do you make that decision? You know, it's like at the end of the day, it's it's you work your ass off your whole life, and you have to make tough decisions. You know, and at the end of the day, sometimes like when you start talking like that, you know, you sound like a spoiled brat. So. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's your decision. It's your life. You worked your ass off to put yourself in that position. And sometimes you make decisions that, you know, it might rub some, some people the wrong way. But it, you bust your ass to put yourself in that position. Nobody else. So it's your path. It's your journey. And, you know, I, I chose, I, I did it my way. And I'm proud of that. You talked about family and family being around 
being the most special part of it. So I told you we're going to bounce around. Now we're going to bounce around out of order. If you asked me to pick, just as an outsider, watching your career from afar, the crowning moment of your career, the crowning game of your career, the best Joakim Noah game, not the best, but the defining one, the one that I will always remember where I was, watching it, how it felt. Do you, Can you guess which game it is? Yeah. I know which one it is. Which one? When I when I dunked it on Paul Pierce's neck. <laughs> six. That's actually not what it is. But let's talk about that game. That's game six, <laughs> Chicago Boston. That wasn't it. That wasn't it. No, we're going to get to mine. But we we're going to talk about. We have to talk about this series because that's the craziest first round series maybe in NBA history. You guys lose in seven to the defending champs. KG is talking all sorts of junk in street clothes. We'll talk about KG. That dunk, it was a pick six dunk in Paul Pierce's face. Paul Pierce fouled out of the game, put you guys up three. You made the free throw, put you guys up three in game six to force game seven. I don't even know. Like, I was tired watching that series. There was a triple overtime game. Ray Allen had 50. Ben Gordon had 50. Like, what do you, when you think back of that series... What what's the flashbulb memory? Is there a scene in the locker room? Is there or is it that play? Is it have you ever talked to Paul about that play? No, I, I don't talk to that. I haven't spoke to that guy much. <laughs> There's not good feelings between some of the Celtics and Bulls from that time. You know, it's like it's it's crazy now. It's like you you know you you're because pe- like you know people always try to bring those moments back and stuff, but to me it's like it's not even. They're just moments now, you know. It's like I don't, I don't hate anybody. But what do you remember from that series? Because that was sort of Derek's coming out party. As like, oh, this guy is, this guy is real. Did you remember KG's hurt? But I, I just remember thinking, but they might. I mean, they- I just remember, I just remember that thinking, okay, this was my first taste of what playoff basketball was about. Celtics had just won uh, the championship the year before. We qualified on the last day of the season. I forgot so, about that. And we lost the game. We ended up losing the game to if we win, we we get in the playoffs. We lose the game and then this I think I forgot who the team was in front of us. If they won, they were in and they lost. So now we're watching the game. We had just lost the game and the team that was in front of us lost. So now we're leaving the UC hype as hell like so excited cuz we're going into the playoffs. So we get in, we get in the playoffs, and it was the best thing that ever happened because now we're battle-tested. It's like I always tell young players, like, playing in the playoffs is the most important because people are playing in the regular season, they're coasting, you know, you're doing your best. But once, you know, people are playing for contracts and all this extra and when you get to the playoffs, all that stuff gets out the door. All that stuff is out the door. And now it's just you got you really gotta let your nuts hang, you know, and that's what it's that's what the playoffs show you. It's gonna it's they make you they they turn you into a man. And you're either gonna, you know, turn up or you're gonna, you know, quibble. So that's what it's all about. I I mean I couldn't I thought it was it, that series just made me work that much harder for the rest of my career because once I got that feeling, I I knew that, that that's what it was all about. You guys won game one in Boston, and I remember watching that game, and, and that was a statement win, uh, and the statement was, we're not backing down. Like, we're young, we're feisty, you guys are the champs, you're talking all sorts of junk, we don't care. Like, we're here to, we're, we're not here just to be participants in this series. Game two, Boston wins on a Ray Allen three, almost at the buzzer, in a tie game. Do you remember who contested that Ray Allen three on the switch? I'm, I remember that very clearly. You I can think, close I your think, eyes and see it probably, right? You know, Kirk Heinrich didn't talk to me for for a couple days after that. You know, um, I walked into the bus and, you know, I mean, the disgust with Kirk Heinrich's face on me. I, I mean, I remember that almost more than what happened after game six. You know, it's just like the the feeling of like letting your teammate down, and you know. But did he did he think you were late switching? Is that is that it? Because you almost get a piece of the ball, like you got there, but maybe you were a little beat late just starting the switch. You know, it's just you know. I mean, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I, he got the shot off. You know, if I was just, you know, maybe, you know, he called out the switch. I, I had I, I turned my head a little bit, and and that's all it takes to for Ray Allen to get a shot off. You know, so if I'm if I'm on top of it, I know what's going on, and I'm you know I'm not looking at the ball. That's the difference between winning and losing a game. And you know, I, I think I even think I, I I touched the ball. I think I touched the ball on that play. You know that I think I had a fingertip on it, and he he made the shot, and it was like, man, you know, he we're up two zero. It's a going home. It's a whole different thing. Could be curtains. So, it's crazy just talking about it. I didn't realize how I, it it just makes me like just I'm getting like I'm getting antsy just talking about this. Let's talk about something else. All right, well, let's, let's get let's get you even more antsy because Ray makes that shot. You guys are out of timeouts. There's a half court heave that misses, and then the cameras pan to Boston's bench celebrating, and they're in street clothes as KG, and he's mm. not celebrating with his teammates. He's yelling at your bench, and you can read his lips. It's just MF this, MF that, MMMA. You by that time have already had your moment with KG. You've told this story before. You're a rookie. You approach him during a game and, and express admiration for him. He's one of your idols growing up and he essentially i mean you can i'm paraphrasing you can correct me if i'm wrong he essentially tells you off rookie like that's uh we're we're not we're not playing we don't play that way um Mm -hmm. which probably hurt at the time but also i feel like you you kind of the way you talk about that incident it almost taught you like all right this is this is how cutthroat i gotta be to make it in this league like this is what it's like at the highest levels right yeah it, it definitely that that moment shaped me for sure you know it's just um it made me realize like, you know, there's, there's really, uh, there's no friends in battle. And that's what that, that moment taught me. And, you know, to this day, it's like, even after that series, you know, I mean, I think about the work that I put in the next summer, circling games on the calendar and just, you know, building a gym in my house and just, you know, playing like, in the air, in the in the gym, like you know, because that was the song that the Celtics came out to, you know, during that playoffs run. It's like it it was deep, you know, and and um, you know now it's like all right, you know, people always ask me about KG and all that, and yo, I, I really had posters of this guy on my wall as a kid, and then you know I get to play against him in the big games, and you know I'm. Like the the year that Derek got hurt, I mean that was kind of our time. Like there we there was definitely a moment where I thought like okay, they can't with us no more. Like we're ready, and then you know we got injuries kind of derailed that. But um, yeah, they they're, they're lucky that we didn't get like that 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 torch that torch was was coming, and then we had like we were the ones. It wasn't going to be the Celtics anymore. It was us playing against the Heat anymore. We didn't, we didn't get that. Let's put a bow on the KG thing because one of your friends told me this story. I wanted you to tell me if it's true. You know, because you've told the KG trash talk negative story a lot. You make your first all-star team in 2013. KG's on the team. He's starting. Yeah. He ends up sitting the whole second half because he wants the young guys to play. And somebody told me he actually went up to you and was like, hey, man, you earned this. Congratulations. Like now that now it's all-star, right? You're not competing your teammates, but did that, did that moment happen? And, and you know, five, six years after your rookie year, what, what did something like that from him mean to you? Uh, it meant a lot, you know, just, um, because I, I realized that it was, I was kind of taking this energy of just like, yo, this dude, and this dude. And I was kind of carrying that around my day to day. And it just made me realize, you know what, like, just just keep that on the court. It's nothing personal, you know, even though sometimes, you know, lines get crossed on the court. It's like I learned a lot, but not I learned. I mean, it wasn't just him. I remember after my my first year in New York when, you know, I had the drug suspension. I had a knee surgery and a shoulder surgery um, around the same time. And I wanted to retire. And. I remember, okay, I, I got out of that. I digested that that whole episode. And um, now I'm like back on the court. And I'm, a sh- I mean, I literally, um, I cannot move. So I'm in, I'm at Pepperdine and I'm working out on one side of the gym and, and Dwayne Wade walks in and he's doing his workout and I'm embarrassed. 
at how like how badly I'm moving and and it's just it's like the first steps after a knee and a shoulder surgery. And you know, I'm doing my workout and I'm like I was just playing this guy two, three years ago in the Eastern Conference Finals. And now he's like, I'm in the gym and this guy's in the gym and I can't, I can, I can barely move. And um, so that was really humbling. And I just re remember like going through my reps and he's just like, stay with it. Like, stay, like I, I could just hear him like, like just almost like just being super, you know, like encouraging. And that I'll never forget that. And I was like, damn, like, yo, we used to talk so much to each other. It was almost like, yo, this dude. Like, I can't even be around this dude. And I, I just remember, like, just little words from the other side of the court. And it's like, there's nobody in the gym. And I, I'll never forget that. I thought that was just, like, it was a real turning point for me in terms of just, like, you know what? Like, this NBA thing is really a fraternity and just... Um, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of love too. So it's like when you're in between the lines, like, no, there's no friends, but then outside of it, just, there's always respect, always respect. Did you ever have a moment like that late in your career with LeBron? Because at the height of it, it seemed personal for you and LeBron to some degree anyway. Um, I think that people made it a lot more personal than it was, but you know, competition is not it's not pretty. And that's why people like it. You know, there's beautiful moments, but there's also really ugly moments. You know, there's moments that I'm not proud of. Like there's the competition has like put the most beautiful moments, the most beautiful sides out of me, but also the most terrible sides out of me. And that's, I think that's what people like about competition. You don't know what you're getting out of people, you know, because, you know, it's just, that's the beauty of competition, I guess, you know, it's just, it's real. It's people's emotions at, at its rawest form. You know, you're playing in front of millions of people on a court. Like, it's some real, you know, new age gladiator. And that's the way I, I played that way. You know, that's the way I, I carried myself. So it wasn't always pretty. But, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things I respect about LeBron. A lot of things I respect about LeBron. But in between those lines, nah, that. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You mentioned Derek and Derek's knee injury. That's a moment for anyone who's been around this league for the past 20 years. The axis of the NBA flipped in that moment, and you felt it at the time because you guys were 50 and 16 that year number one seed best offense of the Tibbs era and more than that exactly what you just said the torch was being passed where it looked like it was going to be heat bulls toe-to-toe -to -toe every year for the next five years like you had already played in the conference finals the year before they beat you 4-1 and you could feel at that time you just don't know if it's ever going to be the same again once that happens. So I'd, I hate to go back to a painful point, but it is that significant in NBA history. Yeah. Can you, can you, like when something like that happens, you're in the middle of a playoff series. So there's probably part of you that's like, well, we got we to gotta go win game two. But there's also part of you as a smart, big picture thinker that 
understands all the potential implications of this. So you, what do you remember from like you guys get back in the locker room or you're on the bus? Like, what are your memories of, of processing all of that? There are moments in your life where you just know when it happened, like, you know, exactly what you were doing. You know exactly where you were. And when I found out that Derek uh, tore his ACL, like, I, I remember what I was like, the smells. I remember who I was with. I remember where I, I, I remember everything. Almost like the same feeling that I had the same feeling of like when I saw the, the plane hit the tower. Like, that's the kind of feeling I, me, me, that's the same feeling I had. Like, people will be like, oh, he's crazy for saying something. Like, no, I'm telling you how I felt. This is how I felt. I had the same feeling when I saw the plane hit the tower, when I heard that, when I found out that Puto is ACL. How do you move on as a team from that? Like, you just, you just have to. Right? I mean, it was a competitive series with Philadelphia. Ugly, ugly. And you got hurt after game three. I think you were out the rest of that series. Yeah, I mean, you know what? That's that was a really tough time. I'm, I, I, but you know what? Tough times, like Derek's probably Derek's my best friend in this whole thing. Like in this whole journey, like I always respected his humility, the way he handled himself throughout that whole process. I love Poop. Um, you know, it was a. It was weird, just like him going back on the court, and you know, it was just like it was. It was really painful. We were, we really believed, like yo, that year was. This was where we were going to win a champion. I, I really felt we were going to win a championship that year. So he brought, he had that much. He represented that much hope to us. Is that every time he stepped onto the court, we felt like we had the most special player in the world. So. Um, you know, that's, um, that's a lot of, that's a lot of hope to carry on one person, you know, and for him to see him now and to see everything that he's been through with, I mean, I'm talking about enormous expectations, you know, just that people can't expectations that people can't relate to. There are very few who can relate to that kind of expectation. and to get hurt like that and then to come back and like, I see him now, you know, just getting engaged, happy, happy. I see my friend happy, you know, and not bitter from the, the process. And the, 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 that's, that's what it's all about. You know, I, I see my guy and he's, he's in a good place. He's, he wants to learn. He learns, he's, he's, you know, he cares about life and, that's what it's all that to me, that's what it's all about. A lot of people, a lot of people would have been super bitter. He uh it happened when he was crisscrossing left to right, right in front of you on a pick and roll. And you're the first teammate to run and go get him when he's on the floor. I mean, I I had for I mean, I I could visualize the injury, but I was trying to say, where's Joakim on this play? Can we stop talking about this? This is it's just Yes, like, let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. Um let's move on to what I can so let me answer my own question. Uh, the crowning Joakim Noah game that you didn't guess. Do you have a second guess? If it's not 2009 game six, do you have a second guess? The hint is that a lot of your family was there. Game seven, uh, Brooklyn. Game seven, Brooklyn, 2013. Derek's hurt. Luol's hurt. Kirk Heinrich's hurt. Nate Robinson's playing like a thousand minutes for the Bulls. The Nets are this hyped up, you know, super team, would-be, juggernaut, whatever, game seven in Brooklyn. You guys are limping around. Half your team is out, and you lay the smack on them in Brooklyn to win that game. I think you had 24-17, six blocks. You're hitting jumpers. I was watching the highlights this morning. You're hitting jumpers. You're threading the needle with these passes from the elbow. You're lefty hook. You're, like, dribbling around Brooke Lopez hitting lefty hooks. You're doing everything. That game, to me... I try as a, as someone covering this league not to fall victim to like cliches and being overly emotional about the game. That game to me, I remember watching and be like, this team has so much heart and this guy has so much heart. And Rihanna was in the building. I, I didn't even remember that. But I want, so that I was going to say, so what do you remember about like that game? 
I, I just, you shouldn't have won it. You guys shouldn't have advanced to the next round, but you did. And it's just an all-time, like, we just want it more than the other team. Like, do you remember thinking we can still win this series? Do you remember, like, we're up 20, like, we're taking it to him? Like, what do you remember about that game? Or maybe you remember afterwards because your family, it was in New York. A lot of your family was there. That game, to me, that's a crowning, crowning moment. What do you remember of it? I remember, um, I remember losing game six. And I remember we're back in the locker room and we're going like we we all know we're going back to to Brooklyn and you know everybody's hurt and Tibbs takes his time. I just remember like like everybody's sitting down like God damn like come on Tibbs like hurry up like do your speech and let's let's you know. I remember Tibbs coming out and saying a few words, which is, he, he, it's always long with Tibbs, a few words. He goes, he's like, yo, guys, pack your bags because we're going to Miami. <sighs> Look, I'm getting goosebumps. Like, it wasn't like, okay, like, you know, it's, it's, now it's, it's win or, or go home. Pack your bags, guys because we're going to Miami. I'll never forget that. And then he walked out. That's it? That's it. Wow. Correct me if I'm wrong. You were dealing with plantar fasciitis severely during that series. You guys go down 1-0. The idea is broached like, hey, Derek's out, Lou's out, your foot's hurting. Like, this is a lost season for us. It's a loss. We're not winning it this year. Would you want to like maybe shut it down? Like, should we just shut it down with you? Do you remember that and just being like, "Hell no, we can win this series." I mean, I remember Pax calling me before Game One and calling me and saying, "We're, we're shutting you down. Like, you don't need to." And I, would, it would just, it just, it, it meant so much to me to play in front of. I mean, are you kidding me? We, we worked our asses off to make it to the playoffs. I mean, every game was a fight just to get there. You get to play at home. You know, I don't take those moments for granted and I remember that game one I had no business being on the court I mean I I I mean just the the things I had to do just to to just to be on the court it's just I don't it's like we let's not even get into the details but I mean it was just it was just really bad I could barely walk to go to the bathroom in my hotel room and you know you're playing against the top athletes in the world Game two, I actually, I mean, it was like an angel from, I ended up seeing uh, osteopath, um, you know, Fabrice Gauthier, who's one of the best in the world, one of a very close friend of mine to this day. He was, and he was in New York to work with Carmelo. And I get a call and he's like, look, I want to come see you. Ends up doing a couple manipulations on my foot, cracking my foot. And I'm like, Holy shit, I actually feel better. And by game two, I end up, I mean, game two was probably, you know, I really had to, to dig deep, you know, just to just even be on the court because I was still in a lot of pain. I could barely put my foot down. It was, it was better, but it wasn't great. But for some reason, um, throughout that series, it just got better and better. And, um, you know, it was you know, one of the, um, the most special times of my life because I it was just like one of those moments as an athlete where it's like, how am I going to do this? And, you know, I, I got to I got to show out in front of, you know, my loved ones. And um, you, know. you had a dunk in that game. I can't remember who was a fake handoff into a dunk. See, so people we, we watch players as they as their careers go. And naturally, our brains kind of remember what we last saw of them. So I sometimes like to go back and watch. Like I remember a couple of years ago, I was writing about Chris Paul and I went back and watched Chris Paul on new Orleans, like pre knee troubles. And it was like, Oh my God, this dude is flying around. You had a dunk in that series where yeah. you faked the handoff. And I, I think you crammed it on Andre Blatch actually. And you're, you're so far above the rim with your right hand hammering it down that I, I do find it useful to go back and remember like, Oh, that this guy, this guy could like, he's a high IQ player. He plays on field, but yeah, he had some bounce back in the day. 
you know, those were, you know, there, there are games and moments where you're so excited and so hype and so in the zone that I just remember there were times running up and down the court where I couldn't feel my legs. Like I, it, they, I was just, I was floating. Just the adrenaline, everything just meets just the focus. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unbelievable feeling. That game was, was one of them. Let's talk about Tibbs because you and Tibbs are, are tied together in history forever. And you mentioned, this is a perfect transition, you mentioned Tibbs per- perhaps taking a long time to do stuff. So I called some of your former teammates from the Bulls' heyday, and I was like, just give me the best Joakim stories. Just give me the, give me the best you got. One of your teammates, I could probably name him, but I won't because it doesn't matter, said, I remember. And I want you to see if it, I'm going to tell the beginning of the story, and I want to see if it jogs your memory and you can finish it. It's like, I remember a shoot-around in Cleveland. It was the year that LeBron had left, and they lost like a million games in a row. And we know, like, if we just try a little bit, we're going to smoke this team. And Tibbs is, like, in full-on Tibbs mode. Like, we're, we're going through, like, our 15 sets, their 15 sets. He's talking about how, like, this is, this is his memory. So, like, uh, guys, J.J. Hickson at home averaging, like, 18 a game. On the road, he only averages, like, 11. But we're in Cleveland. They're dangerous. Booby Gibson averaging, like, 21 a game at home. And it just goes on and on and on. Do you remember the end of the story? I have I have no idea where you're going with this. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm gonna take it and see if you remember. This, so this, happened, te- this happened every – this is this is how we felt after every game. So, so, so there's a water break during the shoot-around. And you sit down next to your teammate. And you're just you're just like frustrated, like this is God. And and Tibbs comes up to you, and he's I don't know what you're talking about. And you finally and you just yell at him, Tibbs, you're making me hate basketball. You're making me hate basketball. I hate this. You're making me hate it. And Tibbs shouts back at you, you don't know the plays. You don't even know what chin means in our playbook. And you're like, damn right, I don't. You're making me hate this game. I love this game, and you're making me hate it. Does this sound accurate to you? I mean, a hundred percent. That must have happened seriously like twenty times. <laughs> and there were many times where I told Tibbs, like, "Yo, Tibbs, you know what? If we weren't winning games, I would, I would hate you." And he, he would be like, "You know what, Joakim? I feel the same way about you." You know, it was that type of relationship. It was also Tibbs' first, first go around as a head coach. So imagine. Um, Tibbs, Tibbs is the hungriest person in the game, period. There's no – nobody's preparing like him. Nobody cares about winning more than that guy. Like, you could be a number one team in the East and you're playing against the worst team in the East. The preparation for him is the same. And how many coaches can you, can you say that about, you know? So at the end of the day, as much as I can look back on it and say, you know what? As annoying as some of those times were, I was prepared. Well, a, a number of players told me stories like this, and they actually said they made us so thankful that Joakim was on the team because, number one, he was the only guy who would actually go back at Tibbs, and somebody needed to go back <laughs> at Tibbs. And number two, when he said stuff like, I hate basketball and I don't remember any of the plays, we all started cracking up. And someone needed to lighten the mood on this team because it's a long season and you can't be intense all the time. So, like, Joe Keem was, like, a necessary mood changer, spokesman for frustrated <laughs> player. Like, they were all, like, we need he, – he, all of that stuff was necessary for our team to function. Yeah, I, I remember actually, like, being in the parking lot before practices sometimes and I would see – I would see Kyle Korver, like, sitting in his car and just, like, looking – he wasn't even, like – doing anything he would just be like looking straight at the wall like just like holy i do like it just looks so painful you know so i mean i think that that's all i've always been the energy guy and people will think that the energy guy means like okay like go grab rebounds and like it's so much more than that you know like the energy guy means making sure that you know when the morale part with a lot of people, you know, like making sure that we're, we're good. Like we're all right. Like sometimes it's a, sometimes, you know what, you lose a couple games and 
team splinter and yo let's go let's go out we got to go out like this is the this is the time like watching a movie in your room and like talking to your wife and about how much you hate this boy let's all go out let's go have a couple of drinks you know like you have to do that sometimes it's important and like that's i think that that's a part of it that you know it's the energy guy doesn't just mean oh he's he plays hard the energy guy means you know okay get the crowd hype because you know it's a february game it's tuesday everybody's tired this is the fourth game in five nights everybody's dead everybody's feeling like how do you go get it and uh you know tibbs only knew one speed so sometimes it was i think i you know i think he's probably better with it because he's more experienced now but you know this was tibbs first go around we're talking about even the coaches kind of liked this i was talking to rick brunson who was an assistant with the with the early part of those teams and, and he was in charge of working you out in the summers and he told yeah. me this story i wonder if you remember this he's like joe would come every day in the summer every day religiously and we'd work and i was his workout coach that's what i was supposed to do but because tibbs is such a maniac he's in the gym He's in the Birdo Center. He's in the practice facility. And so he sees us working out and he can't resist like coming out to supervise and like get in the fray and all this. And one time Joe just was like, I don't want to see your face anymore, coach. Get out of here. Rick and I got this. We don't need you. Get back in your office. I need a break from you. Get out of here. And there might have been some other F-bombs thrown in. And Tibbs took it and was like, okay, I'm leaving. And Rick Brunson was like, whoa, nobody talks to Tom like that. But also, it's probably good that we have someone who can talk to Tom like that. Do you remember that? Like, get out of my workouts. It's summer. I'm, it's like a teacher. I don't want to see you in the summer. Get out of my face. I'll see you in September. You know, it's like, yes, like that, all that happened. But I'll, I'll tell you what, like, as tough as it was, like, I, I really, I like people for who they are. You know, like, there's no, like, Tibbs is, like, that's what Tibbs is. Tibbs is like that. Like, we all know it. When the summer when Tibbs worked me out his first summer as head coach, like I was the guy who was, um, I was about to sign my extension with the Bulls. So they were holding that over my head. Tibbs is the head coach. Can you imagine how hard workouts were going <laughs> to the Birdo Center? <laughs> I, I, I would train for an hour and a half with Tibbs, the hardest work, hardest individuals of my life. And we would finish the workout with we would do tens he would time them so 10 down and backs with i think it was a one or two minute break and we would do it four times not one or two four times and we would do that five times a week i mean i don't care what anybody says there's no player in the league doing that right now like it was a different it was different this is tibbs first go around where he has the keys to do whatever the he wants. And I'm kind of proud of that, to be honest. I'm kind of proud of that. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. What do you remember from the 2011 conference finals? Heat Bulls looks like the first of many. They win four games to one, but it's a close four games to one. And in fact, I just we watched the fourth quarter of game five. I forgot you guys were up like 12 with two minutes to go, and they come and hit a bunch of jump shots. 
Taj has a crazy game one, dunking on everybody. You guys win. Just like that series, you guys were kind of arriving ahead of schedule, right? They were the hyped up team that had had a kind of hiccupy first year, but they get to the conference finals. They're finding themselves. It felt like a, a Titanic clash, but also one that was like both these teams are kind of figuring out how to play with each other and against each other. What are your memories of, of that of that series? I don't remember much. I just remember there's a few things I remember from that series. So I remember we smoked on game one. I think we won by 40 or 30. It was it was a lot. It was a lot. And and I remember the heat. They didn't after that game, they were just all hanging out in the hallway. They didn't go back to their bus. They weren't ashamed. And they were just making a statement like, all right, you guys, you guys beat us, but like, yo, we're, we're here. We're not going anywhere. We're, we're comfortable in your building. Like, don't get it, don't get it twisted. And I just remember that was, I had never seen that before. Like guys just hanging out in the, in the hallway of the UC, the whole squad. And that was the first time I saw, I was like, damn, you know, you lose by 30. You're not, you're trying to get out of there quick. You're, you're not, you know, you're just trying to. So it, that was, I thought that that was interesting. And I don't know who, if somebody said something in their locker room or whatever, but it was something that it stuck with me. And I just remember uh, I didn't play well that series. I, I was okay. Like, even at the end of game five, I wasn't in the game. Yeah, Kurt Thomas was in the game. I forgot about Kurt this. Kurt Thomas was in the game. You know, I was just, I, was, I personally wasn't happy. I feel like I didn't do enough to help. Chris Bosh had a, he had a big series. Just like I was just, you know, it, it pissed me off how like what I brought to the table I felt like it wasn't enough that series so I, I worked my ass off that summer that was a the, the Rick Brunson summer but I just remember not playing I played okay I didn't play great so um I was really looking forward to the next year that's the Heat's first year together did you think Bosch was maybe coming to Chicago or Wade was maybe coming to Chicago or LeBron was maybe coming to Chicago or maybe two of them were coming to Chicago? I mean, as someone who lived that and is on this on that team that has the cap space, there's rumors, there's meetings. Like, did you did you stay out of it and just sort of like if something happens, the GM Pax or Gar will tell me? Did were you in it? Were you talking to any of them? Or did you just leave like what did you think was gonna happen? I thought we were getting I thought we were gonna get Chris Bosch, I, I was always, uh, I met with Chris Bosch a couple times before. You know, Derek was not doing any of the recruiting. You know, that was not his style. He was not going to do that. And so I was willing to do whatever to make our team better. You know, I, I wanted a championship so bad. So I knew that whatever we had to do to make our team better, I was going to do. You know, I tried to reach out to LeBron. He didn't, he didn't pick up. Chris Bosch, when he came down on a visit, you know, I thought it was a done deal. You know, I thought it was a done deal. And I thought that he was going to take at least, I thought he was going to take Dwayne. And then I, I was like, if those two guys come, then we'll get LeBron as well. But it is what it is. You know, I was like, either way, we're going to be, we're going to be good. So either, you know, you guys come with us or you don't, it's, it's whatever. We're hungry, but there was definitely a, a time where I thought we were getting guys. Yeah, we we're getting some of those guys. You mentioned that summer and how hard you worked. That's the lockout summer, the lockout offseason. Somebody told me not only did you work with Rick Brunson a lot, but you went back to Gainesville, University of Florida, and you worked with Billy Donovan and you worked with Mark Dagnall, who's now the coach of the Thunder. And this was interesting to me that one of the things specifically you worked on is the Heat come out of the gate with this like blitzing, trapping, frenzied defense. And you realize right away, one of the ways we're going to be able to beat that defense or one of the ways we're going to have to try to beat it is I'm going to have to do the short roll thing where I slip into open space, get the ball 20 feet from the basket, and I start making four on three plays. And that you worked on that specifically with Coach Donovan and Coach Dagnall. Is that true? A hundred percent. You know, I, I had a lot of angels, man, you know, throughout my career. And just, you know, I was playing in these big games. You know, I was an emotional roller coaster. You know, I was, it was for me to sleeping before a game was impossible. Sleeping after a game was impossible. You know, I, I really cared about this. Shit. Like I lived it. 
it was not like I could just leave an arena and then, oh, I'm, uh, everything's all good. You know, I was I was not sleeping a lot because I cared about the so I was really living this. And to have like people like Coach Donovan who could calm me down, but also, you know, look at it and look at it from a point of view of just not just what's best for the Chicago Bulls, but like what's best for you. This is what you can do to make your team better. And it wasn't somebody that I was listening to all day, every day, who was a little bit removed, who genuinely just cared about me, you know, putting me in the best position. So, you know, Coach Donovan to this day is like an angel in my life. And uh, but that's definitely what we were working on for a whole summer. It's just that short roll. I like the angels terminology because players cross paths with hundreds and hundreds of people in their NBA careers. And you never know who's going to be special to them or who's going to help them. And sometimes you hear a story 15 years later, like, hey, no one's ever really like figured out that that guy was close with that guy or that guy who was on my team for six months somehow made an impact on me. So this is a long way of asking, talk about the influence of Brad Miller on your career. Brad Miller played a couple of years with you in Chicago. Talk about him and what what he meant to your game. I mean, Brad Miller's talk about an angel. I mean, Jesus, big angel right there. You know, he he's somebody who um, I came in. I was early. It was early in my career. I was just a young guy, just trying to figure it out. And I remember after a practice one time, he he pulled me to the side. I think he had, uh, you know, we were going over stuff. I think he he had like. He had his sandals on already. He had a big dip in his mouth. Somebody who like really cared, but just was just, just, you know, he was like the guy who had like a beer in his, you know, the old vet who had like a beer in his, his hand, like in the locker room after the game and just with a dip, a big ass dip in his mouth. So real country hunter. I mean, it couldn't get more opposite than of the, of the international Cultural, like, soho kid like i mean i'm a hippie and he's like a hunter you know redneck you know like just complete just opposite spectrums of life but on the court for some reason it was just we it, i couldn't have found a better brother you know and just somebody who just you know pulled me to the side and said look this is going to be a big part of your game just listen to me he's like when the guard comes off, and I'm talking about he's going two miles per hour. He's showing me this like slow motion, handoff. If the guy goes under, handoff. If the guy goes over, roll to the basket. If the guy's overplaying now, throw the fucking backdoor pass. And it was like three things. He just showed me three things. And he's like, this is going to change your offensive game forever. He's like, just, just listen to me here. And it changed my life. I'd be like, people always said, geez, you're, you know, and I think I'm sure that, you know, Vlade, Vlade was one of my favorite players. I used to love watching Vlade play. And Vlade probably shared that with Brad, you know. And then we all know Vlade was one of the best passing big men of all time. And then Brad was as well. He taught me, a, a, it was just, it was an after practice 10 minute thing. And it ended up, you know, changing my, my, my path. Just those three things became, I became people always, I mean, I had, I had big seasons with, with a lot of dimes and stuff. And that's because, that's all because of Brad Miller. Before we end on a serious note, I have to ask you this question because I can't resist it. True or <laughs> false, you once referred to Tony Brothers as catfish for an entire playoff game because you thought he looked a little bit like a catfish. He did. <laughs> he does look like a catfish. <laughs> Tony Brothers. That, that I mean, it wasn't one a playoff series. It's just his name when I see him. Shout out. You still, Tony you, you still call him catfish. catfish. Shout out catfish. <laughs> um, as we wrap up, a couple of things. Number one, Chicago. You've gotten publicity for it, but not that much, and you've never sought it out. But you've done a lot of work in Chicago with gang members and at-risk youth and all that, I assume that's going to continue as you kind of reconnect with the Bulls. Like, what do you, what does that mean to you? What do you want that to be? How big a part of your legacy is that in Chicago? I mean, that's, that's just work that's never going to stop for you, right? That's every, that's all the time. 
you know, I think that while, while I was playing in Chicago, I was able to do a lot of stuff off the court. You know, Chicago has given me so much. I think if it wasn't for Chicago, we wouldn't be talking right now. You know, it gave me a, a hell of an, an opportunity to to have some of the best moments of my life. And it's also a place that has a lot of troubles there. You know, a lot of a lot of pain and a lot of violence and um, you know, it's 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 riddled in the in in the culture over there. So, uh, whatever we can do to try to make a make an impact, you know, uh, and we're we're gonna try our best. You know, I, I I wish we had more answers and more solutions, but you know, we're right now. It's just it's very important to to listen and to to show empathy and to you know, do what we can because, you know, the Bulls is a, is a huge, huge platform and it brings people together from, from all different backgrounds. And I'm really proud to be a part of this organization because it's given me so much. And, you know, that's, I just want to make sure that we can do some positive things in the community. You're also one of four players who's an investor in NBA Africa, and that's not, like a token financial investment to you. You've already taken several trips over there. I think you're gonna, your, your plan is to be super involved with teams there, with growing the game in Africa. How did that opportunity come about for you? And, and like, where have you been? What have you been doing? What are you gonna be doing as, as, as we go forward? I mean, I, I think that just being able to retire and then be a part owner in a league in Africa, an NBA Africa league is just, I, I mean, I, I couldn't have, wrote it any better you know this is like a, a real dream come true to be a part of something so important to me and so important to the continent you know my my heritage is african my, my father is from there uh, he lives in cameroon so to be able to do a lot of things and build build that bridge you know build that bridge and being able to you know the continent is brings a lot and uh, i really hope that more people can see that. And if, you know, basketball brings people together and if we're able to, you know, bring kids from the inner city and, and have them go to Africa and see what we got going. And if, if the connection is basketball, so be it. It's perfect, you know, but basketball is, it's big, but we all know that there's, it's, it's going to be so much bigger than just basketball. So I'm excited. You, you, you have been over there a couple of times in the last year, right? Or something, I, I think. Yeah, right? I've, been, I've been there, BAL. Um, it's, it's a great basketball league. It's first-class operation. Um, the tournaments are going to be going on all throughout the continent. Uh, there's going to be so much to see. And they're building. They're just building. They're building infrastructure. They're they're coaching uh the whole thing it's 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 gonna take time but uh, everybody's putting in the work and you know um president amadou he's i mean he's the best the most humble soul the, i mean i'm so excited i love the team i love the team over there uh yolam shout out yolam all the people over there who are putting in work um nothing but love for you guys and just really excited uh to be a part of this and just to be doing all this work with with luol as well who's like one of my big brothers and learning from him and all the work that he put in throughout the years like shout out to everybody over there who's been who have been grinding and putting in work for the kids and i hope that you know this platform just can elevate the game that much more and empower empower the next generation let's wrap with this it's going to be joakim noah knight on the 28th everyone's going to be putting your career in retrospective a lot of that focus is going to be on chicago and the highs and lows of your time in chicago is there something about your career whether it's it's another stop or something about the bulls or is there something that you kind of look back on that maybe maybe fans and people in the media may not remember whether it was a a teammate a game a, a place you played that like meant a lot to you or that 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 you reflect on that maybe we that maybe we don't realize was was a big part of your career or or just something about your career that you want people to remember obviously everyone's gonna remember you is gave it all on the floor hard worker defensive player of the year all that but is is there something like that that like hey man i this i don't know if people realize but this means a lot to me or that means a lot to me or that guy means a lot to me yeah you know um 
I grew up a, a privileged kid. You know, my dad was a tennis player. You know, I grew up in Paris until I was 12 years old. And um, yeah, I was that kid, you know, and a lot of like these guys I, I go up against, that I was going up against as, as a player, probably, uh, you know, they were always calling me Silver Spoon and all this stuff. And, you know, I was like, okay, this is, you know, it's, it's okay. Even when I was growing up in New York City, like when I came in, it was like, I was getting a lot of because I was a privileged kid. But, um, you know, I'm the, when you look at the record books for the Chicago Bulls, like I'm up there for offensive rebounds. And that's when I'm, that means that every time the ball went up, I had to go get it. You know, that's not like three point percentage. You know, that's, that's like, that's dirty work. And I'm really proud of that, you know? So I think that's something that people don't realize, but now that, you know, a lot of these guys are going to retire and their kids are coming up and all that, you know, it's like, it's, it's, you got to have a lot of demons to go get that one, you know? And, uh, I'm really, really proud to be, to be that guy who, who did that dirty work for the Chicago Bulls for 10 years, you know? So um, that's who I am, and I, I'm proud of that one. You should be from Florida to Chicago to everywhere. Um, I loved watching you play. I know tons of fans everywhere. I loved watching you play, even if they were fans of the other team. They're like, this dude is freaking annoying me. Uh, it was a unique style. It was a selfless style, and it was I only care about winning style. And it was it was great to watch. It was a joy to watch for a long time. Congratulations on a great career. Congratulations on this night in Chicago. That's well deserved. And thanks for giving us a good chunk of time here to reflect on a really great career. It was it was great watching you, and, and it's an honor to talk to you. I appreciate that. Man. Respect. Man.